0: Good morning. Um, Most of you figured out by now there are no paper bulletins. Technology is great when it works. And when it doesn't work, we wonder how we got along without it. But um, for those that really like to take notes, if you want some scrap paper to write on, we've got some half sheets. And I know some folks got those as they came in. Uh, If you kind of wave your hand, one of the folks from the back will bring up some pages. There's a couple up front here, so come on up this direction. And um, continuing in the theme of technology and weaning us from our reliance, uh, the Bible passages will not be on the slides behind me this morning. Uh, That didn't quite go as planned either. So uh, if you want to read along, there are still some Bibles in the back. And if you want to get up and grab one, that won't bother me in the least. And your neighbors will be courteous enough not to trip you on the way down the aisle, so feel free to grab one of those if you want to read along, because it won't be up behind me. Um, And if it is, it's, you've witnessed something miraculous here this morning. So, I'm curious what you were doing around noon yesterday. Napping, shopping, working in the lawn, working in the garage, working, uh, relaxing with a book, What were you doing at noon on Saturday? And what would you have done if you'd gotten the text? I got. It's Steve. I still can't talk. You're on. (laughs) Now, I realize most of you have absolutely no desire to stand up here. And that's okay. We really don't need a congregation full of preachers. However, all of us, maybe given that opportunity at some point if not in front of a large group in front of one in front of two in front of a family in front of a coworker so what if the text wasn't i need you to preach what if the text was i need help i need you to talk to somebody i've got a question so what if it was a child Dad, why do we have to go to church tomorrow? I, I, I don't really, you know, get much out of that. And besides that, I could think of better things to do on Sundays. What would you say? How would you react? Keep that in the back of your minds. And then turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to take a look at a, a portion of of Deuteronomy 6 this morning, and Deuteronomy 6 is a familiar passage to some of you, but probably not the part we're going to look at. We're going to go to Deuteronomy 6, verses 20 through 25, and it'll take us a few minutes to get there, but I want us to know where we're going. So let's read that together, and then I'm going to walk you through a couple of things to set the stage for why I think this is a great passage for us to consider. So Deuteronomy 6:20 says this. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there, that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give our fathers and the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always that he might preserve us alive as we are this day and it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us father I just pray that you bless the reading of your word and Bless the words that will follow it. Lord, remove the distractions from us, the technology, the paper, the substitutes, the the last-minute changes, and all of the cares that we carried in here this morning, God, and speak to us from the Scriptures. Cause this to take root in our lives and make it bloom and blossom into the actions of our hands and feet through Christ and by your grace. Amen. So, you might notice just in the opening of this passage, your son, when your son asks you, I don't want you to get hung up on that, okay, because I know there's a lot of you that don't have sons, it's okay, and a lot of you that don't have daughters either, it's okay. This isn't just about sons and daughters and moms and dads, and I want you to see that deuteronomy chapter 6 opens with a familiar section that talks about parents and children but is this really about parenting i want to challenge that this morning but in order to understand why i want to challenge that we've got to see this passage in its broader context So, notice something that most of your English translations are going to have at the beginning of the paragraph, and even at the beginning of chapter 6, those little tiny marks? Quotation marks. Well, quotation marks are there for a reason. This is someone speaking. Who's talking? Well, if you were to back up to the beginning of chapter 5, that's where the speech starts. And it says, Moses gathered the people. Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today. So the beginning of chapter 5 says, Moses gathers everybody together, the entire nation, and he talks. And the speech goes on through chapter 5 and chapter 6 and chapter 7 and so on. So the the speech that we're looking at is not a speech to parents. It's a speech to the entire nation. All the people. But what about this particular passage? Because if you look at the beginning of chapter 6, it starts to sound more like a parent passage. And in fact, the main idea of the entire speech is in chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. And in that main idea, you hear language that will be familiar to you. In verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And in verse 7, here's our parenting passage. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So, I'm an observant guy. I can stand up here and look around and go, huh, there's more than just parents here. Do we really want to spend the next several minutes of our morning talking about a passage that might only apply to a third or a half at best of the people in the room? Well, think about the speech. This was a speech Moses gave to the nation. And if he thought it was worth talking to everybody in Israel about this topic, I would suggest it's probably worth us spending just a few minutes of our Sunday morning. The entire nation, men, women, children, husbands and wives and sons and daughters, but widows and orphans and servants and everybody in every station heard his words. I would submit that not even Deuteronomy 6 is meant just for parents, although it's meant for parents, not just for parents. And I would not be alone in my opinion. I've got a good 4,000 plus years of Jewish history to back me up. I'm willing to stand on that. For thousands of years, the Jews have used this passage, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, as one of the cornerstones of their faith and teaching. I don't have time to go into all of it and to give you all that history, but if you're curious, you can look. um, The word Shema, you may have heard it, S-H-E-M-A, Shema. You can look that up and you can see how this has been the cornerstone of the Jewish teaching for generation upon generation upon generation. And I understand that if Moses is going to talk to the nation, he's going to talk to all ages of the nation. And so I understand that when a nation selects a particular passage and says, this is worth knowing, we're going to teach it to our children when they're small so they memorize it and recite it verbatim. We're going to plaster it on our walls. We're going to put it on postcards. We're going to carry it in our pockets. We're going to do everything we can do to emphasize these verses of Scripture. It's worth paying attention to. And look real close at verse 7, that parenting passage. Yes, it says we're to teach our children. It says that we're to teach, but it also says that we're to talk. We're to talk when we walk and when we lie down and when we rise up and when we do anything. And, and it's easy to make the assumption that the sitting and the walking and the talking and the lying and all of that is supposed to be some sort of technique for how we parent our children. that's much too narrow that's not what Moses is saying because Moses is saying in verse 6 these words I command you are to be on your heart and in verse 7 here's how you do that you start by teaching your children when they're young because that's when we're most teachable and then you talk about it and you talk about it and you talk about it and you talk about it so that it sticks how do we integrate the words of the Bible so that we don't just remember them, but that they, they're woven into us? That's how we do it, is we talk about it, and we talk about it, and we talk about it. So is this about parenting? Well, sure, it is. But think about it like this. If you wanted to write a novel, you would need to understand the rules of grammar. And so if you went to school and said, I'm here to learn how to write a book, They would say, fine, let's start with the basics. Noun, verb, subject, so forth. And you'd need to know those things. But it wouldn't stop there. If you try to describe what it means to be an author, you'd have to talk about a lot more than grammar. You'd have to talk about character development and plot development. and I'm not a writer. A lot more than that. Moses says, if you truly want to love the Lord... Your God, with all your heart, soul, might, it needs to impact your parenting, but it involves much more than parenting. It involves thinking and talking about the Lord God in every aspect of life, in all situations, during all activities, under all circumstances. Okay, I think I've made the point. If you're a parent, you need to listen to this. If you're not a parent, you need to listen to this. You can't ignore what Moses has to say to us in all of chapter 6, indeed all of this speech. So what is he saying? What would he have us learn about how to love the Lord our God and why would he tell us to impress this on the next generation and to never stop talking about it? So let's dive into the real meat of what I'd like to, to talk about this morning. Verse 20. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, okay, I know, we just talked about this, right? I just said this isn't about parenting. Why are we talking about a son? Well, consider the question that Moses poses to us in verse 20 what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you now think about this I have five children of my own and I've been involved with many of your children and a lot of others I can't think of any time in my adult life when a child mine or anyone else's has come up and said father What is the meaning of these statutes and rules? What kid talks like that? They don't. But I understand Moses is speaking to a nation. This is the leader of their world, so to speak, giving a speech. And so he has to say things in a certain way, and he's very formal in the way he does it. What's this question all about? What is the meaning of these statutes and rules that the Lord our God has given us? Three letters, W-H-Y. Have you ever heard a child say that? Why? Son, you need to clean your room. Why? We need to go to church. Why? You need to know this Bible passage by next week. Why? You need to listen to what your mom tells you. Why? You've heard it. We've all heard it. We've said it. We keep saying it. Why? Maybe your, your Sunday morning started out a lot like our Sunday morning. At least this is my vision of what happened at the Lewis home this morning. Walk into my child's room, open the curtains ever so slightly just to let the rising sun come into the room. I hear a bird singing softly right on the windowsill and, and so I reach down and give a gentle kiss and a light pat on the shoulder to my sleeping child. And I whisper sweetly, my child, arise. (laughs) The time has once again drawn near for us to gather and worship. O child of mine, today is the Lord's day, and we rise with joy to keep it holy as he commanded us. Well, it was something like that. Perhaps your child reacted much as mine did. What time is it? What are you doing? It's Sunday. Or perhaps you reacted like that. What sane person gets up before 9 o'clock on a Sunday morning? Why? Most often these questions are meant to probe the limits of authority or the, the boundaries that we feel that we're are constraining us why must I why do I why do I have to and so Moses is right when he says in verse 20 when your son asks not if when your son asks but this is not a childish question this is a question every one of us asks when we feel constrained by the duty of our calling and we say why And we say, I've been saying the same thing over and over again. Why do I have to keep saying it? And I've tried to love the Lord my God with all of my heart and my soul and my strength. Why do I have to keep trying? Why? What's the point? Well, the interesting thing is not the question, because we all ask the question. The interesting thing is the answer. You see, Moses has given the nation of Israel the law. He's given them the Ten Commandments. He's given them the instructions of their God. He's told them how to live holy lives. And he said, when you teach the next generation, they will say, what's the point? And when they do, here's your answer. Verse 21, you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give our fathers. See, Moses wants the children to ask why. He wants us to feel the constraints of these rules and to say, what's the point? And then he wants the people to respond with a testimony of the work that God has done. Consider what these people had witnessed. These were the Jews who had lived in Egypt. Many of the people he was talking to were children when the nation was drawn out of Egypt. But they had seen how brutally their people were treated. They knew family members that had died. They knew what it meant when the men went off early in the morning before daybreak for another day of making bricks out of mud and straw. Look at the end of verse 22. Before our eyes, they saw what God did to intervene on their behalf. They saw the Nile River turn to blood. They saw swarms of frogs and flies and locusts. and They saw plague after plague that God brought in the Egyptian nation. And mostly, these people knew what it was like to huddle inside as death incarnate swept over the land. They knew what it was like to pray that the blood of the sacrificial lamb on the doorpost would protect them. And they knew what it was like to hear the screams of the Egyptians as their firstborn were taken. All to show the power of one true God to a hard-hearted king. And why? Verse 23, He brought us out, that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give his fathers. Moses knew that these children would learn the rules of their nation, and they knew they would question them. And through the prophet Moses, God told his people, when you are questioned about these laws, you need to get your history right. You need to get it in the right order. God did not send Moses to Egypt with the tablets. He could have. Moses could have shown up with the book of the law and said, if you do these things, God will save you. He'll deliver you, and here's the list. Don't get your history backwards. God saved his people. He brought them out of slavery, through the Red Sea, wiped out the armies that were chasing them. And when they could rejoice at the deliverance of their God, he said... And here's how I want you to live, for your sake and my name's sake. Get your history right. Here's my law. Obey it and you will live. Listen to me and you will prosper. But this is not about a cruel, heartless God imposing his restrictions on us. No. Had God not intervened, we would have nothing but temporary earthly pleasures. And God's not denying us temporary earthly pleasures. He's saying, don't waste your time. I've given you joy everlasting. And in verse 24, the Lord commanded us to do these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day, and it will be righteousness for us. If we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. These laws are not given to weigh us down. They are not given to frustrate us. They are given for our good. By the God who first delivered us. Because God rescues his people, they can know that what he is telling them is for their good. And you see the conclusion in verse 25. God provides a means of righteousness for his people. Now, okay, all that's well and good for Moses and the nation of Israel. That was thousands of years ago. And we've been through the history of the Old Testament and the New. The Savior has come. He was Jesus. We know that things are different. What does this mean for us sitting here? Sycamore, Illinois, USA. Look at the testimony of Israel. Look at the message and consider your own. What do we have to offer? And remember, the the audience to whom Moses spoke was the nation. This was not to parents and children. It was, but not just. This was to everyone. This is a message for the entire nation. This is a message for all of the people whom God would choose for himself and beyond. God would have this story of deliverance given to each generation after generation after generation. Makes no difference whether the person asking what's the point is five years old or 95 years old. At some point, whether you have children or not, someone needs to ask you, what's the point? Why do we do this? Why do you live the way you live? And our first challenge is that right there. Has anybody ever asked you that question? Has anybody in your family, Is anybody where you work or at your school or in your circle of friends ever said, I don't get it. Why do you do that? What's the point of this whole Sunday thing? What's the point of this whole Bible thing? What's the point? What's the point? If nobody's asked you, something's wrong. You look like they do. See, God took a nation and said, these are my people. You're going to look different. You're going to live different. You're going to be different. God saves. And for those of you who are saved, you need to look different. You need to smell different. And if you don't, something's not right. So pray that God will change you to look less like the world and more like his son. So that people will ask you why. So, do we look like God's people? That's our first challenge. And if we don't, we need to. But our second challenge is probably more obvious. If we do look like God's people, and we are asked this question, why? What's our answer? Are you ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you? That's our calling. All of us have given, been given that charge. You don't have to be a preacher. You could be anything. You can be a child, if you know Christ, your calling is to be able to give a defense for what you believe. You could be unemployed, you could be retired, you could be a mom, you could be a stay-at-home dad, you could be a window washer or an insurance salesman or a congressman, it doesn't matter whether you're a preacher or not. What matters is, did God deliver you? And can you talk about it? See, in ancient Israel, the answer was, we were delivered from slavery in Egypt. This was a miraculous work of God, and we saw it. Now, I don't know anybody in this room who's been a physical slave. I suppose it's possible. It's not likely. But I do know that everybody in this room has been enslaved. Because Scripture tells us that we are slaves to sin before God intervenes. And sets us free by faith. So, what enslaved you? How had your eyes been blind to your selfishness, to your greed, to your anger, to your lust, to your self-righteousness, to whatever? And did God deliver you? Is God delivering you? And do you have a testimony of that? Do you understand what it means to be delivered by this amazing God that we serve? And do you understand that when you were a slave, you were powerless to save yourself, but God showed you infinite love and mercy by plucking you out of that slavery? He raises us up to be sons and daughters of a king and giving us a life we could never achieve on our own. That needs to be our testimony. As amazing as it sounds that God would deliver an entire nation of millions of people from slavery into freedom, we have an even more amazing testimony that God would give life to these dead bones. So, your phone buzzes, your email beeps, whatever. You get the call. Somebody's sick. The pastor, a small group leader, or just a friend. Maybe it's not a text. Maybe it's not a phone call. Maybe it's the sigh and the lowered head of somebody sitting across from you on the couch or in the living room. It doesn't matter how the call comes. The point is, the question is there. Why? What's the point of what you believe? Why do you live like this? What does it mean to be a Christian? How do you know you're going to heaven? What does God expect of me? Those are all the same question. The question is, do you really have a testimony of faith that you can offer me to give me hope? You need to be able to share that testimony. You don't have to stand here and be eloquent. You don't have to be able to recite poetry. You need to be able to stand and say, yeah, God saved me. Let me tell you about it. When Jesus came, he fulfilled what Israel could only hope for. They could talk about being delivered from slavery and they could glory in that. But they knew there was one that was coming later that would do even greater things. That was Jesus Christ. And our testimony is that we were indeed delivered out of bondage. But it is so much more than physical slavery. Let me challenge you to be prepared to give an answer to the what's the point questions. This isn't about parents teaching their children about God. It is, but not just that. It's about a generation whose faith is real, a generation made up of 10-year-olds and 100-year-olds and everything in between, who share a common faith in a common Savior. And that generation needs to be prepared to tell the next generation of that faithfulness. So, let me get really, really practical for a minute. How might this play out in the next few weeks or months? You just heard Michael talk about this Connections Hour that's getting launched. Okay? And this isn't a sermon about coming to Connections Hour. This is a sermon about the faithfulness of God to save through Christ. But you're going to have some opportunities. Our leaders didn't call this Sunday school because this isn't meant to be another class for you to go and sit and take notes and leave. It's Connections Hour. It's meant to connect us to one another because that's how God designed His church to work. And it's how God intended for this generation to take this message to the next generation. It's by connecting together. It's the unity of the brothers and sisters in Christ that will show the world the glory of God. So, connect to one another, connect to family, connect to the body, but connect to the community, connect to non-believers. And in all of this, be ready to answer why. So, think about a couple of things with me. And just in the last few minutes and and before we wrap up, I just wanna throw out some ideas. How can you actually connect? And how can this Connections Hour concept be useful in this idea of taking what you know and what has saved you and giving it away to the next generation. Now, I'm feeling a little bit like Moses. Very little. (laughs) But I'm not giving you the law to tell you this is how you must live or this is how you must come to church or this is how you must worship. Okay? Get your history straight. God delivered you. What comes next are ways you can live out that testimony of faith. And these are just my ideas. Think about them. And if they're helpful, use them. Number one, get here early. See, most of us are used to having from 10, 45, or 11 o'clock until 11:30 or 12 o'clock to hang around if we want to. We're used to connecting. But we do it 10 minutes from now. You, you, you're not going to have that opportunity not the same way, so get here early. Y- you know the building's open like an hour before service starts, if not sooner. And there are people that have responsibilities of setting things up and getting the music in place and so forth, but there's nothing wrong with a whole swarm of people hanging around, praying together, talking together, sharing together. Get here early. Make connections and do it before things start. Number two, the most self-evident one I could come up with, connect. It's connections hour. Connect to people you don't know. Connect to people you do know. The point is, in order to connect, you've got to be able to give something of yourself. You don't sit in a chair and listen for 30 minutes and be connected. That's not how it works. You have to interact. You have to engage. You have to be willing to reach out a hand and say, hi, nice to meet you. Or or when the teacher says, what do you think about this? Or what questions do you have? Or what ideas do you have? Because these are not gonna be sermons. These are gonna be opportunities for people to actually discuss topics. Connect, open yourself up a little bit. Number three, parents, right? This is my, you know, verse 7a. Parents, worship with your children. I know a lot of you are intimidated by this. A lot of you are worried. We're going to have to keep our kids here. We don't get to send them to Sunday school. This is going to be a disaster. No, it's not. It's going to be uncomfortable for some of you, for some of us. It's going to be awkward for a little while, but Remember the whole sit, stand, walk, talk, rise, all that stuff? You're supposed to be showing the next generation the glory of God in every area of life. Why is it that we think that the one moment of the week when we actually focus on worship, that that's the time to send our children where they won't see us? Let them see you and worship in front of them. Non-parents, number four, allow the parents to worship with their children. Okay, that one's a little more confusing. Um, I once heard a comedian who got interrupted by a woman in the middle of the crowd with a crying baby, and she stood up and walked out in the middle of his performance. And he stopped, and after, he didn't point her out as she was leaving, but as she got out of the room, he said, Hey, let me tell you something about that because everybody you know noticed don't ever look cross-eyed at a woman with a sniveling baby in church because a woman who has a sniveling baby in church number one is a woman with a baby and that's a good thing and number two is in church and that's a good thing now we're all gonna get distracted at some point in the next few weeks because really somebody's gonna make a noise It's going to be a baby squeak, it's going to be a toy fall, it's going to be a child turn and try to say something to mom and it's going to come out too loud and you're going to hear it. Don't glare, don't shuffle in your seat disgruntled. It's the way life works. Get used to it. Oh, and by the way, let their children see you worship. Number five ask yourself the why question. Why are you here? Why do you come? And as you answer that question, get your history right. Are you coming here because you think this pleases God? I got news for you. God doesn't need you here. God wants you here to worship him. But you showing up on a Sunday morning does nothing to improve the value of the kingdom other than what you bring from God to offer back to him so if your history is backwards and you say I've got to go do this because God requires it of me and if I do it then he'll be happy with me Monday morning that's backwards history God delivers God saves and then he says here are the ways you can live out the salvation that you know for your good and my glory come for the right reason come to worship And number six is sort of a corollary. Come. Come back next week. Come back the week after. Don't come here saying, you know, this Connections Hour sounds kind of goofy and I really don't expect to get much out of this. Connections Hour means you're coming to connect and so you're coming to offer someone something. So you're not coming here wondering what good this is going to do you. You're coming here wondering what you have to offer that will do good to the person sitting next to you. Because God builds his church by giving gifts to each one of us. But the gifts aren't for us, the gifts are for those in the body. And when you don't show up, your gift is missing. And you're sitting there going, "I I don't think I have a gift. I got nothing to offer." You do. And we can help you find it. How? <laughs> Come to connections out. So those are just some thoughts. And again, those aren't rules of life that will condemn you to hell. Those are just ideas. You may have more. Share them. Connect. Give them to others. But in all of these things, whatever you're doing, remember, God delivered you. You have a story to tell. And and there's some of you sitting there going, I don't get it. I don't have a story to tell. Guess what? God offers you that deliverance. God offers you a way out of slavery to your own selfishness and your own inability to save yourself. And praise God that he does. Father, we love you and this worship is wonderful but sometimes it's hard because we're distracted and our flesh distracts us and the world around us distracts us and Satan himself intervenes to try to prevent us from worshiping you and loving you. God, would you cause us to offer ourselves to you? Whatever gifts you've given us, whether it's our voices or our hands or whatever, God, would you cause us to offer those things back to you as an act of worship? Because you delivered us, because you love us, and because you call us to tell the next generation who needs to know you, of Your mighty deeds and Your amazing works through Christ our Lord who saves us. Amen.